We are going to continue our series of lessons looking at uh, 2 Timothy as we're picking up this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, looking at the idea of dangerous times. And if we're honest, there are dangerous times always for uh, the Christian because the world has never, in general, been real receptive to those who want to follow God's word and those who want to reject the sinful ideas and sinful ways of life that the world promotes uh, so often. We want to begin by asking two questions. Where do we turn when surrounded by wicked people? By wicked, we mean those who are living a sinful life deliberately, on purpose, and continually. Where do we turn when we're surrounded by such people? And where can we find strength and we feel overwhelmed by those around us who are living in such wicked, wicked ways. This, those are some questions we'll be answering as we go through this. And as we begin here in, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning by looking at dangerous people. We find in, in, keep on say Genesis, in 2 Timothy 3, some characteristics of dangerous people. You begin in chapter 3, looking at verse 1 and following. He says here, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. So times are dangerous. That's what the word perilous means. It just means it's dangerous. When we say last time, you recognize the days before Christ's return. When you say the last days, that's for last time. That's really all we're referencing. He says that, in the last days, perilous or dangerous times will come. Now, we know, of course, I think any time throughout history, we could say we're living in dangerous times, depending on what's going on in our world. We can go back and look at various, I mean, you think about those who lived during the time of World War I and World War II, those were dangerous times, uh, crazy times, thinking about living through those things. Uh, the Great Depression we go on to look at things like the Vietnam War and all the other things that have happened throughout history. And those are, no doubt, dangerous times. But the Christian is always, you might say, living in dangerous times because the Christian lives constantly in opposition to the wicked world around us. And we find in verse 2 the characteristics of dangerous people. And if you'll notice here, at least in my opinion, we'll find at least 19 different characteristics are listed in verse 2 through verse 5. We find here, as we look through here, it says we find wicked and selfish characteristics are listed. He begins with saying here in verse 2, For men will be, and he begins to list these things, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, Slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and those who simply have a form of godliness, which we call sometimes just frauds. Nineteen things listed there. And these are, no doubt, very dangerous characteristics he talks about, we're going to look at just, we're going to talk about just a few of these things in passing. We're not going to talk about all 19 of these things in detail. But he mentions, I think it's interesting, the first thing he mentions is lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. 
Sometimes we come in contact with those who, at least I've heard people say it this way, they are in love with themselves because themselves is all they talk about. That's a, usually a one-way conversation, isn't it? But lovers of themselves, me, myself, and I, is all that matters. Lovers of money, we know that all kinds of evil come from the love of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience of parents is interesting in this long list. Children are mentioned because he talks about being disobedient to parents being a evil and wicked characteristic. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Isn't it interesting how many times he uses those two letters UN to define how people are? Instead of loving, they're unloving. Instead of forgiving, they're unforgiving. Slanderers, without self control. Do we ever see examples of that today? Well, yeah, we see that all the time, don't we? Brutal just means they're, they're harsh towards others. Despisers of good. We definitely know people today who just despise anything that is good. Traitors, they turn one another. Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of, them, lovers of God have a form of godliness. And you think about all these things he mentions. Think about these words from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Think about this. He says, Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. He says, The moon, the Sabbath, the new moon, the Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity, and the sacred, and the sacred meeting. Your new moon and your, and your appointed feast, my soul hates, they are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. Well, you find here in verse in, in these ideas of these those who have a form of, of godliness. You look at Isaiah 1, 13 and 14, it's a form of godliness, right? Don't bring any of these things to me anymore, is what God is saying. And no doubt today we live in a time where we still, and no doubt they did as well, where we have those who have a quote-unquote form of godliness. That is, they, they say some right things, they do a few right things, but they're not actually trying to follow God. They're going to a certain point and then stopping and pulling back. Look at verses 13 and 14 of Isaiah 1. It says, to bring no more, and this is all these things. He wants nothing to do with them anymore because they're just fake. He says, he says in verse 14, they are trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. We are instructed, as we look at the latter part of verse 5 of 2 Timothy 3, what to do about these types of people. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, he says, to turn away. Those who are living and fulfill these various characteristics, and this is how they live their life. It's not that they make a mistake from time to time and act like one of these things or behave in one of these ways, but it's a constant way of life. A person who is constantly in love with themselves and proud and all these types of things. Those are the people we turn away from. We have nothing to do with them. And what Paul is instructing Timothy is reminding us as well is to not be like the world. Pull away from them, he says in verse 5. Do not be like them. We may have to work around them. We may have to see them as we go out and and do our regular activities, but we definitely are not one of them. We turn away from them. We, are do, not, we do not engage in living in the same ways they do. We do not have that a fellowship with them like we have with others. We pull away from them in verse 5. 
We are instructed to stay away from such people. And Psalm 12, looking at verses 1 and following, here the, here the psalmist says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. That is, it seems like the godly man has completely disappeared. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. It is the faithful are almost swallowed up in this sinful world. They speak oddly. They speak oddly, everyone with his neighbor, talking about worldly people, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut out all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. You have said with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? And that no doubt is how people live today. Who can dare say they are over us? We'll live however we want. And that's what we find there in 1 Timothy 3, isn't it? How you live, when you live however you want, what do you do? You have those 19 characteristics. It just gives us an idea of how wicked people live. And we go back here to Psalms 12. And in verse 4, he says, These individuals have said, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own, which means we'll say and do what we want. Who is Lord over us? We stay away from those kinds of people, don't we? Those who say, we're going to do what everyone, I don't care what the Bible says. That's a good sign to say, you know what? We're good. I won't be around you. But you will recognize you'll be judged by what the Bible says you should be doing, whether you like it or not. We try to influence them for good. We do not allow ourselves to be pulled into their sinful ways. We turn away from them. We do not allow ourselves to be those who say, well, it's okay, it's okay. Well, no, it's not. We look at 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy 3, this time going back to verse 6. We find here a promotion of self. We say they take advantage of the weak who will overcome in sin. In 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 6, he says, For of this sort of those who creep into households and make captives of billable women. It says people like this, those who just listed all those characteristics, he says these are the same kind of people who take advantage of others. And he uses here the idea of gullible women. Now are men gullible? <laughs> oh, all the time, right? All the time. Why do you think we have tool magazines sent to our house and all those little advertisements things, right? Because we're gullible. We think we need those things. We need a shoe that can cut through a pipe or a, shoe, excuse me, a, shoe, a knife that can cut through a pipe and a tomato, right? We're gullible. We think we need those types of things. Here in verses 6 and 7, the women here are pictured as being gullible. We know men can be as well. But what happens here in verse 6? We're of this sort. Those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins. So they target women or individuals who are overcoming their sins and they're led away by various lusts. And what happens? They take advantage of them. I think about those who'd like to get on television, put a number down at the bottom of the screen and say, just send us this amount of money. We'll send you our blessed water, our blessed rug, and you'll be able to pray on these things. You'll have all the things that you want. That sounds an awful lot like what we're reading about here. He says they, they creep into these households and make captives of gullible women, which means they take advantage of them. They take advantage of those who are gullible, those who are overcome by sin and lusts of the world. In verse 7, he goes on to talk about these kinds of people. He says they are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It means they know what the Bible says, but they don't really apply it. Well, let's, let's be honest, they don't apply it. They know the scriptures say this, this, and this, but they don't teach it the scriptural way. They know the Bible says he believes and is baptized shall be saved, but they don't teach it that way, right? That's the idea that we, we find here. They, they learn, they're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That means they never actually obey it. 
There's a lot of people that he can quote a whole lot of scripture, but they can't tell you exactly what it actually means. We have a lot of people willing to quote to you all kinds of scripture, but when it comes to actually following it, they won't know part of it. They're always learning, which means they're always reading it. They're always learning scriptures, but never actually applying it, never actually following the truth. And these individuals, we find that they know the scriptures, but, but do not understand or obey them. Look at Isaiah 59 and verse 8. Here the Bible says, The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They make themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes, that takes that way shall not know peace. So whoever follows after these same kinds of individuals who are trying to twist the scriptures, they will never know peace. Those individuals in 2 Timothy 3 who are taking advantage of others who have these characteristics we talked about before, they will never know peace because they don't ever know the scriptures. Sure, they're learning, but they don't ever know it. It's like someone who is reading the scriptures all the time, but they don't ever actually understand what the Bible is saying. You know, that is okay for a baby in Christ or somebody who's been a Christian for 20 years. That's sad. Wouldn't it be those who when we read the word of God, we can understand what it's saying. We may ask for help from time to time, but that's not what these individuals do. No, instead they completely have no knowledge. They have no knowledge of the truth and instead twist it in order to fulfill their own wicked desires. They resist authority, the truth, and are disapproved of by God. Their actions and their evil ways are revealed as well. As we look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 8 and 9. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. He mentions individuals who resisted Moses. That is, they rebelled against him. Moses was a man of God, put it quite simply right. And he preached God's word that was given to him. He repeated the commandments of God to those individuals. He says these individuals resisted Moses. He says, and so do these also resist the truth. Who? Those who are following after these types of characteristics we've already listed. Those who are taking advantage of others. Those who are always learning but never coming to knowledge of the truth. There are men, he says, of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, which means God does not approve of them. He says, he says in verse 9, well, they will progress no further. For their fault will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. He's talking about how, as these individuals who resisted Moses, how they were revealed to others and they paid the price. These individuals, they also will be revealed. The Bible tells us, Christ tells us, by their fruits you will know them, right? Which means, listen to what they say, watch what they do, and you'll be able to pick them out very easily. Those individuals who are trying to take advantage of others, those who possess these characteristics we saw back in verse 2 uh, through verse 5. We won't know part of them. That's why we are to, uh, to turn away from them. These same types of individuals who are rebellious against God, rebellious against the truth, are also mentioned back in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. But here they're called the stiff-necked. He says in 2 Chronicles 30 verse 8, Now, do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. And said to the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may, may turn away from you. What were they doing in verse 8? They were turning away from God. The Bible says they were stiff-necked and they were not yielding themselves to the Lord as they were not listening to God. 
These individuals in 2 Timothy 3 were not listening to God either. They weren't listening to his word. Instead, they're, they're trying to use it for their own selfish gain. And they would be revealed to all, as we saw there in verse 9. Next, we want to realize that we must follow God's word and not people. We are to follow God's word and not people. I think it's safe to say that some people today follow preachers and not the Bible. They follow certain speakers, but not the Bible. They follow certain programs, but not the Bible. We want to be those who follow the Bible. We want to be those who follow God's word. We look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verse 10 and follow. We find Paul's experiences are mentioned here. We find that Timothy has followed this same sound doctrine in Paul's example. It's mentioned here in verses 10 and 11. He says, but you have followed, carefully followed my doctrine, which we understand to be the doctrine of Christ, not literally Paul's doctrine, but his teaching, which came from God. Manner of life is how he lived before God. His purpose, his faith, his long-suffering, his love, his perseverance, the persecutions and the afflictions which happened to him. He says, it happened to me at Iconia, Antioch and Iconia, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. He says, you have followed, basically he's saying, you have followed my example in following after God and his word, right? And he says there in verse 11, notice who he says is the one who delivered him out of those hardships. He says, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. He doesn't give credit to himself as being crafty or being, str being, wrong or being strong or brave. He, he credits that to, to the Lord who delivered him. But you notice there in verse 10, what does he want Timothy to follow? It's not really following after a doctrine that belonged solely to, to, to Paul. That's not what he's talking about. It's following after the doctrine that, that Paul received from Christ. He was an inspired man of God, as we know back in the book of Acts. And so this doctrine he's talking about is a doctrine received from God. He's to follow his doctrine, his manner of life, his purpose, which was to seek and save the lost, his faith, his long-suffering, his love, his perseverance, and even recognize it may also bring about persecutions and afflictions, which happened to Paul as well. And that's what we have to realize, that being a Christian, sometimes it's going to be difficult. We're not going to make everyone happy. Neither should that be our goal. Paul also reminds us that hard times come and that people in, the, in this world will only get worse. As you look at verses 12 and 13, he says, Yes, and all desire that God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Does he say that as an, as an absolute possibility? Yes. He doesn't say that you might. He says at some point we're going to endure persecution. We're going to endure those who do not like what we have to say. We're going to endure those who do not like how we live. We're going to endure those who don't like it when we say we're not going to that party or that event. And when we explain why they don't like that, they get upset. That can be persecution, can it? We may not endure the same type of persecution yet as the apostles did, but we do, we do endure some hardships at times, that's for sure. We says in verse 13, but evil men and imposters, that is those who are not really followers of God, he says, will grow worse and worse. He doesn't say things will get better. He says things will get worse. Deceiving, he says, and being deceived. They will deceive others. And these include the idea they will also deceive themselves. That is, they'll, they'll convince themselves that what they're doing is right, even though it goes right against what the Bible teaches. The sins of the wicked will only increase more and more. 
And we have to be, realize that and remember that we have to prepare ourselves for that. The Word has the answers to hard times. Look at verses 14 and following. Find we must remain loyal to the Word of God. Look at verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, We must continue in the things that you have heard, which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have you you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. What is that? What does the word of God do for us? He tells us there in those verses, doesn't he? He says in verse 15 there, which are able to make you wise for salvation, which tells us how we can have salvation, right? How we can obtain it through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The word of God gives us all the things we need in this life to overcome those things we're going to face. We also, as we find in verse 14, we are to remain loyal to those to the word of God. You must continue the things which you have learned, which you have been assured of. Continue meaning we must remain loyal to it, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We are to remain loyal to the Word of God that gives man life. Look at Proverbs 2 and verse 6. In Proverbs 2 and verse 6, the Bible says, The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. What's he talking about? He's talking about the word of God. For us today, we apply it's the word of God. It is God's word that gives us knowledge and understanding. Knowledge to how we are to live, understanding to how we can live before the world, and also knowledge to how we should live and how we can overcome hardships, persecution, and difficulties in this line. We also find in verses 16 and 17 that God's word provides all that man needs. He provides all that man needs. Look at verse 16. All Scripture, he says, is given by inspiration of God. That word literally means is breathed out by God. And is provided, is, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That a man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It tells man how to get right, how to stay right, and how to remain right, right? Have the also instruction in righteousness, how we are to live godly. He says in verse 17, that a man of God may be complete, that we may be complete. Now, if the word of God gives us everything we need to know so we can be complete, does that mean that we need anything else? That means that we do not need any other book, right? It means we don't need the traditions of men that are carried down through creed books or catechisms. It means we don't need the doctrines of man. Either the word of God makes us complete or it doesn't. Well, Paul says here that it does. That a man of God may be complete. Then he says, thoroughly equipped or thoroughly furnished for every good work. The word of God gives us all that we need. It provides all that we need in this life to live, to remain faithful to God, and help bring others to Christ as well. Look with me at, at Psalm 10 and verse 17. He says here, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will repair your heart. You will cause your ear to hear. The word of God prepares man's heart for service and for faithfulness in difficult times. In Psalm 10, verse 17, when we follow God's word, he will hear our prayers as we remain faithful to God. 
God will answer our prayers in accordance to his will. He says, you have heard the desire of the humble. The humble, there is a reference to those who are being loyal to God. You'll prepare your heart. You'll cause your ear to hear. God hears and responds to the prayers of those who are following him. Some lessons for us today. Dangerous times for Christians are a constant. It's never a peaceable time for Christians because Christians live in opposition to the world. And so we're always going to have those who don't like how we're living. They don't like, they don't like what we're talking about. They don't like that we're against sin and the wickedness of this world. Evil people are always, are always a threat to the faithful. Their characteristics reveal who they are, and we should do our best to avoid them. As you saw back in chapter, th in chapter 3 and verse 5, from such people turn away. But God's, uh, God provides a weapon for the Christian. And God's word is the answer to dangerous times. It is that weapon. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 11. Out of them all the Lord delivered him. Who delivered Paul? The Lord did. Why? Because he remained loyal to his word. Now that may have been in a miraculous sense. It may not have been in a miraculous sense. But he put his deliverance in the Lord. Now we today, when we overcome hardship because we follow God's word, who delivers us? God does in that sense. It may not mean it's not in a miraculous way in which God's going to just pull us out of some difficult situation. But God's word does provide ways to overcome those things. It gives us a guidance to that, right? How do we deal with a neighbor that is hard hard to live live next to? The Bible says, "Love your neighbor as yourself," right? Which means you treat them. Well, we don't return evil for evil, do we? No, that doesn't work very well at all. God's Word provides the tools we need in this life and everything we could possibly need in this life. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 again, what all Scripture is given to us by God, and it's all that mankind needs. It makes us complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we are surrounded by evil, we need to know where to, where to run or where to turn to, don't we? Because sometimes when we're surrounded by the world, we, we are quick to turn to our friends who may not be Christians and begin to ask them advice. And that advice may not be sound advice. But when we turn to God, it's always sound advice. When we go to God in prayer, we open up his word. The response is always the right response. Failure to use God's provided weapon, that is his word, will only result in a Christian being overtaken by the world and by sinful people. If we don't turn to God's word, we put ourselves at risk of being sucked in by the wicked, right? Because the wicked can say things that sound good, but when you compare them to God's word, you realize, now wait a second, that's not right after all. We shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be living this way. We shouldn't be talking that way. Because God's word is our standard, isn't it? It's standard for how we live, how we talk, all those things involve how we live. God's word is the standard for all of it, which means when we want to know how to do something, how we should be living, we go back to God's word. We don't go back to traditions. We don't go back to things we've done because we've done it for so long. No, we go back to God's word. And one of the greatest examples of God's word providing the answer for all mankind needs 
It's God's plan for man's salvation, isn't it? If man cannot provide us the answer for salvation, then we don't need man. We know that God, that mankind does not provide the answer. Only God can provide the answer for how we can have heaven as our home one day. In Romans 10, verses 15, in verse 15, the Bible tells us, How shall they hear, or how shall they preach, unless they are sent? As is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. What must we do? We're going to have heaven as our home. We're going to obey the gospel. We have to hear it first, don't we? Verse 17 tells us there, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Does God's word provide an answer to how, how we obey the gospel? Yes. We have to hear. You can't obey what you haven't heard. People, they say, well, sometimes you know, God, you know, sometimes we are selected by God to be saved or not be saved. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says we have to hear it. But it doesn't just say we have to hear it. The Bible also tells us we have to believe. We have to believe what we have heard. John 8, verse 24 tells us, Therefore I, say, I said to you, that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. That's Christ speaking. What do we have to do? We have to believe that Christ is the Son of God. Based upon what we, what we have heard, we then believe. That's the logical next step, isn't it? Okay, I, I heard it, but what do I do next? We have to believe. We have to believe in it. Matthew 16 and verse 16 tells us there, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was confessing that he believed that Christ was the Son of God. God's Word tells us we have to hear, we have to believe, but what else do we have to do? We have to repent. Because when we are not a Christian, we have sin, we have to repent of. We have to repent for living outside of God's law. Luke 13, verses 2 and 3 tells us, when they were asking about those in, Gal in, in the Galileans who were destroyed, Jesus answered and said to them in verse 2, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? He said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We need for repentance, right? We repent of our sins, and what do we do? We, we continue to follow God's plan, right? Because it is a step-by-step -step process. We hear, we believe, we repent, based upon what we have heard, what we will now believe. And then what do we do? Because we believe and because we have repented, we are willing to confess that Christ is the Son of God. John 12, verse 42, right? You look at this. Notice what happens here. We have an example of what happens when you don't confess. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees that did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, they were cowards. They were too afraid to admit that Christ was the Son of God. Will they have heaven as their home? They're not willing to confess before men that Christ is the Son of God? No. You can't deny Christ and then say, well, I expect to have heaven as my home. It doesn't work that way. We must confess that Christ is the Son of God. What else, what else must we do? We hear God's word. We believe upon what we have heard. We repent of our sins. We confess that Christ is the Son of God. And then we have to be baptized. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Peter here says, There's also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Baptism. He says, Not removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What saves us? He literally says baptism. 
Bill Day will teach quite differently. He said, well, baptism isn't necessary. Well, nobody told Peter that because he says it there. He also says it back in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. When in verse 37, they ask him, what shall we do? Peter's reply is, repent and be baptized. For what purpose? He says in verse 38, for the remission of your sins. That was the purpose of it. Let's go though, to one more section here to think about baptism. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Here again, the Apostle Paul here is speaking to those in Rome. And notice what he says here. He says, Or do you not know that many of us that are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life being baptized into his death, being raised up in the midst of life, the essentialness of being baptized. Baptism, friends, you have to realize, is not an outward sign, but is a requirement for salvation. You'll have those who tell you their blue in their face that it is an outward sign, but inward working. No one told Peter that. No one told Paul that. Because we back up to, to Romans here, what does Paul say? Therefore we were buried with him, that is Christ, through baptism, right? Into the death that just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. So we hear God's word. We respond by believing God's word. We confess, we repent of our sins. We confess that Christ is the Son of God. We are immersed in baptism. But you know there's still one more thing we have to do. We have to remain faithful to God. Because baptism is not the finish line, it's on the starting point. Look with me at John 14, verse 15. He says here, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, that means you will keep God's commandments, which means we will be faithful to God, right? Revelation 2 and verse 10 says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. And indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, in context, we know there in the book of Revelation, they're going through a lot of hardship because the Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And he's talking about how Christians are going to have to endure a lot of hardship, a lot of persecution. That's the phrase, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That's not literally the devil is going to throw you in, but you're enduring hardship is what he's talking about. And he says that you may be tested, you will have tribulation 10 days, which means you'll have a short period of persecution. It won't last forever. But notice the last part of verse 10. Be faithful until death. Which means if we die, our lungs should, should have what? Faith, right? That is, we, we die even if it costs us our life. We don't remain faithful until someone says, I'm going to shoot you if, you if you don't deny Christ. We die then, don't we? We remain faithful to God. He says, and I will give you the crown of life, Revelation 2 and verse 10, which means we'll have heaven as our home one day. Now you think about those steps for a moment. Again, God's word tells us these things. Are any of those things impossible to do? Not a one. And I say that to say this, there are some out there today who will tell you that unless you speak in tongues, you cannot be saved. Well, you won't be saved then, because we can't speak in tongues. We can speak gibberish. We can get up and say all kinds of weird things, but that's not speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues was literally speaking in an unknown language, which, by the way, the Apostle Paul also said what you weren't to do unless you had an interpreter. 
So we cannot speak in tongues today. So they require you to use something that is impossible to do. The Bible never does that. The Bible never requires anything of us that is impossible for us to do. You go back and you look at all these things we've talked about, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, being baptized. Those aren't impossible things to do. We just simply have to decide if we're willing to do it. And one of the best ways to decide if we're willing to do that is ask us how badly do we want to go to heaven? You look at those there in 2 Timothy 3, why was Paul warning Timothy about them? Because those people were going to cause others to lose their chance of going to heaven if we fall after them. And so that's why he closes there in chapter 3, for us it's chapter 3, by saying that God's word has all that we need, verse 17, right? And God's plan for man's salvation is revealed in the Bible is no different. It tells us what we need to do to have heaven as our home, and when we obey it, we can do that.